Now, the true story is told of a theological professor from Yale. He went to a missionary work in North Korea, and he wanted to preach in a local rural church. And so the mission agency sent an interpreter with him, and he goes to this little village, and he stands up to preach, and he, he says, all thought is divided into two categories, the concrete and the abstract. And this is how he started the sermon. And immediately the interpreter thought to himself, uh-oh, inside, and, and looked out to this tiny little congregation with these toothless grandmas and schoolboys with no shoes on their feet, and thought he would use some artistic license. And so in the interpretation said, dear friends, it is wonderful to be here from the USA to teach you on the wonders of Jesus Christ and knowing him personally. And I don't know how the rest of the sermon went, he probably translated a lot more. But the reason for starting with that story is that as we continue our series here, and we're in a new part of Luke 9 to 19, these little journey markers that keep coming up, and we get one here in our passage, then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. That's where he's going in chapters 9 to 19, to Jerusalem. And Jesus, in this mini section, as it kicks off, wants us to be absolutely clear that as we are listening to him, as we are hearing his teaching, we make sure we keep it personal and practical and relevant. We are told in verse 23 that someone asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? It's quite an abstract theological question. Do you notice Jesus doesn't answer it directly, but turns it around and says to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Will the saved be few? Abstract theological question. Jesus, make sure it's you. Make every effort to be saved. And we're going to see it throughout this section. So here we have from Jesus' lips, no greater life goal, no greater priority. I don't know if you've come to church this afternoon, what you're thinking you're meant to be doing with your life before Jesus. Here he says, make every effort to be saved. Now, most of us here are followers of Jesus Christ, come to church on Sundays, you might think to yourself, well, I'm saved already, so this sermon is not for me. Please, please do not make that mistake. Did you notice in the end of verse 23, when Jesus responds, he's not responding to this someone, this individual he's asked this question. We are told in verse 23, he said to them. Who are the them? All those people are on the road with Jesus. The crowds, the disciples, even Judas. Will the saved be few? Make sure it's you. Make every effort to be saved. And he's saying it to us today, wherever we are on our spiritual journey. Three things for us to see. First of all, make every effort to be saved because many people will not make it. Glance down with me at verse 24. Jesus said to them, to everyone, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you'll stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. 
Now look, there are a few things that keep me up at night, but as vicar of this church, this is one of them. I would hate for any one of you, and I include myself in this as well, to get to the end of your life and to hear those eight words from Jesus, away from me, I do not know you. Please make every effort to be saved. To enter through this narrow door. Do you see here in what Jesus is saying that mere acquaintance with him is not enough? These people who are on the road with Jesus, these people who are listening to the teaching of Jesus, these people who will say, we ate with you, we drank with you. Coming along to church each Sunday, that is not enough. Eating the bread and wine, having this meal with Jesus is not enough. Listening to this particular teaching, this, sir, it's not enough. Jesus could still say to you, away from me, I did not know you. This door is narrow. Make every effort to walk through it. I mean, in the summer holidays, we had a holiday in Portugal in Mechuera Grande. It's this little town off the beaten track. And we met some locals. They told us about this beach that no one really knows about. You never get tourists at. So we went to try and get there. But there was this perilous path to it. And during this perilous path, there's this little gap in the, in the path. And it's quite easy to like, walk over it, right? I'm going to do it here. I've done it a million times in my life. But the problem with this gap, it was like 50 meters down. And I can tell you, as I was walking over that, and obviously with our five kids, and I was holding Jessica, there was no complacency about this, right? Made every effort to check my laces were done up, made every effort to check Jessica was in close, made the effort, even practiced it a couple of times. This narrow entrance into the beach. This is a picture that Jesus is giving here of the narrow door into the eternal kingdom and his heavenly banquet. Do not be complacent about your salvation. Not for a moment. He's saying to everyone here, make every effort to be saved. How seriously are we taking our salvation? How much effort are we putting into it? Are we letting any complacency begin to set in? Verse 28 speaks of weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who don't make it. It's awful. The regret, the pain, the sorrow, the despair of going through your life thinking you're a Christian. I'm eating and drinking with you. I'm listening to your teaching. Going through life assuming that you'll just walk into heaven and welcomed into Jesus' arms and then the final day he says no. Away from me, I do not know you. Now, don't mishear Jesus on this. Verse 29 speaks of people coming from east and west and north and south to take their place at the heavenly banquet in God's eternal kingdom. It is open to all. There will be many there, but you need to make every effort to be there. Now, you might be thinking, all right, well, what is that effort? (laughs) What do I need to do then? Does Jesus Christ know you personally? Do you know him personally? In your heart of hearts, can you say, Jesus Christ is my Lord, and I will follow you, Jesus, whatever your word says? Do you say in your heart, Jesus Christ is my saviour, and yes, I am a sinner by nature, but I'm trusting in you, and Lord, forgive me, and I'm walking each day in step with the Spirit, 
on the road with Jesus, not just hearing his word, but putting it into practice, hearing his voice, talking to him in prayer, coming together as church, the body of Christ being sent out on mission to share him with others. It means prioritizing our relationship with Jesus Christ above anyone or anything else. Make every effort to be saved. Now look, at this point, some of you might be thinking to yourself, I'm not too sure about all this talk of effort in the Christian life. Isn't Christianity all by grace and received through faith alone? And all the stuff about what we've got to do and effort we've got to make, it just sounds a little bit worksy. Let's be absolutely clear that whilst grace is opposed to earning, we cannot earn our salvation, it is a free gift, it is undeserved, grace is never opposed to effort. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians. Make every effort to add to your faith love and self-control and godness, the apostle Peter says in his first letter. And Jesus is saying here, make every effort to be saved. Someone took me out for lunch this week, this past week, I wasn't expecting it. It was a free gift. It was a real treat. I was very thankful for it. I still had to make every effort to turn up to the restaurant in time. I had to make the effort to look at the menu, choose what I wanted make the effort to pick up the fork, put the food in my mouth, and savor it inside. And Jesus is saying it's the same with his salvation. So can I ask, are you savoring Jesus Christ now above anyone and anything else? Are you making every effort in your relationship with him? At the end of the day, nothing else matters. On the final day, this is the only thing that will matter. Will the saved be few? Make sure it is you. Secondly, make every effort to be saved because there comes a point of no return. And we see this played out in verses 31 to 35 in a very moving, in a very poignant and quite heartbreaking way with Jesus' sorrow over Jerusalem. Just glance down with me at verse 34. So this is Jesus speaking. about He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house has left you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of of the Lord. This is Jerusalem Jesus is speaking about. This is the capital city of Israel. Think of the, the temple, the priest, the sacrificial, all of God's plans and purposes for the world were through Jerusalem for centuries. And now Jesus describes Jerusalem as desolate, bleak, empty, because of their complacency over salvation. Jesus describes himself here as a mother hen gathering her chicks under his wings. I didn't know about this before, but farmers have told stories of finding mother hens burnt after a barnyard fire or 
burnt to death or, or beaten to death after a hailstorm. But after the storm had passed and after the fire had passed, they went to see and they saw the little chicks crawling out from under the wings because the mother hen had protected them from the hails, from the fire, gave her life for the sake of the chicks, sacrificed herself so the children could be saved. And Jesus uses that as a picture of him. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how, I, how I'd, give my, I'd give my life for you. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would do anything to protect you from God's judgment. I've come to die on the cross, but you were not willing. And so now Jerusalem has faced the judgment itself. A judgment which was fulfilled in AD 70 when the Roman general Titus destroyed the entire city of Jerusalem during the feast of Passover. The Jewish historian Josephus counts one million deaths and 97,000 taken into captivity. But look, there is, a no, there is a point of no return when it comes to Jesus Christ. Even with like Jerusalem and the children of Jerusalem, Jesus loves us dearly. Jesus longs to gather us under his wings He's prepared to die for us, and for us, he has died for us. It has happened in space-time history. But we need to take refuge under his wings and before it is too late. And if we don't, desolation, weeping and gnashing of teeth, away from me, I do not know you. And if there's any doubt in your minds that this will happen, AD 70, Jerusalem, it did happen in history and it will happen again at the end of history for all those who don't make every effort to be saved and take refuge under Jesus' wings. So if you are a member of the church family here, but deep down you know that at the moment you're not really all in with Jesus. Deep down you know he's not number one. There are other things in your life where You've put him first. Could be your career, could be your studies. Could be your relationship. Let this be a warning to you. A warning to all of us. Not to be complacent with our salvation. Not to play with fire when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. And here is Jesus calling us back to him saying, how long to welcome you in. How I, see how committed I am to you. See how much I love you. See my sacrifice for you. And come back to me and do so right now. Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to make every effort to take refuge under your wings. Perhaps you're someone here looking into Christian things. It's great to have you with us. Perhaps you find Jesus really quite compelling, his life, his death, his resurrection, his call to, to follow him, but you're hesitating. You're thinking to yourself, you know what, well, maybe I need to just get through my studies first, perhaps I need to establish my career, perhaps I need to get married first, have a family first, perhaps in retirement, you know, then I'll, I'll make the decision to, to follow Jesus. And he would say, just be very, very careful. If you're not prepared to follow me now, how why do you think you're going to be prepared to follow me in 30 years' time? And how do you even know you'll be alive in 30 years' time? My wife and I, we received some really horrible news this week. 
acquaintance of ours who's at a church near here. In his 40s, married two children, had some headaches, led to vomiting, went to see the doctor, finds out he's got a brain tumor and only days to live. Life is fragile. Death and judgment are coming. Perhaps sooner than we realize. There is only one means of salvation. There's only one door to walk through. He's given his whole life for us. And here is a call to take refuge under his wings today. Make every effort to be saved because there is a point of no return. Thirdly and finally, make every effort to be saved because it's easy, so easy, to get this wrong. I'm not sure what you make of these Pharisees in chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. These are the religious experts of the day. But they get salvation completely wrong. In verses 1 to 6, they exalt themselves over God. In verses 7 to 11, they exalt themselves over each other. And at the end there, Jesus says to them, all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Do you see it's completely back to front? There's going to be this awful reversal for them. Notice in verse 1 how the Pharisees are carefully watching Jesus. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Okay, so the Pharisees, they're watching Jesus closely. They should be watching their own hearts and lives closely because in verses two to six, Jesus exposes their lack of love for this man who's suffering and the hypocrisy. In verse three, Jesus asked the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Of course it is. But they are completely silent. They have no compassion for this man. They don't want him to be healed. Jesus then says to them, hey, look, if you'd lost your ox or your son on, on the Sabbath and they fall into a well, would you not immediately pull them out? Answer, of course they would. And yet again, they remain silent. They had nothing to say. They are hypocrites. And remember, the Pharisees knew their Bibles inside out. They studied their Bibles every day. But instead of submitting it to themselves and apply it to their own hearts and lives, all they're doing is looking to catch out other people. So much so that when the very point of the law, the person to whom the law pointed Jesus Christ, is standing there right in front of him, he's just healed this person miraculously. They presume to know better than Jesus Christ and they presume to try and catch him out. Completely back to front. So important that you and I watch ourselves closely. particularly Christian leaders. It's not one of the main problems recently with so many failures and falls of leaders in the evangelical church precisely because of this and not watching themselves closely and knowing their Bibles inside out and studying it every day and preaching a cracker of sermon for people out there but they're not submitting and applying it to their own hearts and lives themselves. Now, of course, I say that as the person here at church who has the main responsibility for teaching and preaching God's word. So I say this to myself. And I've got to be applying God's word to myself before I ever presume to preach it to you. And you should say to me after any sermon, hey, Mark, how did this particularly speak to you? How did the Lord speak to you through this passage? 
And if I've got nothing to say, go speak to a warden. This is how it's particularly spoken to me this week. Because <laughs> I don't want to be like this. And I want to make sure that I never exalt myself over God or his word and always submitting to it so I can preach to you faithfully and humbly. But whether we have teaching responsibility here at the church or not, all of us need to make every effort to listen carefully to what God is saying to us. As God's word is read, as God's word is preached, as you're listening to it right now, make every effort to listen out for God's voice through it. Make every effort not to get distracted, not to be abstract, not to think to yourself, this doesn't apply to me. I think I know better than Jesus in this area of my life. <laughs> Never presume to know better than God's word for your life. Never be silent when it comes to God's commands and prohibitions and scripture. Never exalt yourself above God or his word. Make every effort to humble yourself and say to him, yes, Lord, I will follow you. And the final thing to see is making every effort to humble ourselves before others too. That's the point of verse seven to 11. With the Pharisees here wanting the places of honor at the wedding feasts, and it's just all like self-promotion and self-exaltation and self-importance, and they're trying to impress others, look good in front of others. It's make, it makes it all about themselves, and it's really just incredibly ugly. And then Jesus says to them, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so let's make sure that if we're coming to church, if we're serving at church, if we're up front, if we're doing any teaching, do not make it about yourself. Never think that any of us are more important than anyone else here in church, any of us better than anyone else here at church. Let's humble ourselves before one another. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. It's true for all of us. The Kalanese pastor Daniel Niles once described Christianity as one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. I bet he was a very humble man with that description of what the Christian life is. Do you see yourself as that? Do we see ourselves as that? Like spiritual beggars. Entirely dependent on the grace and mercy of God. So let's make every effort to keep humbling ourselves before God, before each other. And that is one way that we can make every effort to be saved. That on that final day, we won't hear those words, away from me, I do not know you. But instead, well done, good and faithful servant, come enter my eternal rest. So let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he protects us from just keeping your word intellectual, abstract, theological for theological sake. Thank you that he turns this question round to everyone who's on the road with him and says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. We hear this command, this exhortation, this imperative. Please would we take it seriously. Please would we prioritize our relationship with Jesus Christ above anyone or anything else. Help us to see there is a point of no return that we may continue each day to take refuge under his wings from the judgment to come. 
And please, Father, would you help us by your spirit to humble ourselves before you and your word and before one another. And we ask it so that no individual in this room today would ever hear those words on the final day away from me, but instead welcome, come in, enter my eternal rest. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.